caught offside with Andrew Gunling and JJ Devaney. Oh, yes, caught offside. Suburbs of New York City in an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and JJ Devaney. What's up, brother? Hey, man, how are you? Doing very well. Very well, indeed. A little bit disappointed, though, because you know I'm such a. Uh, I'm a lover of all sports, but college basketball is one that I hold near and dear. Uh, and last night was the national championship game, and I thought it was going to be epic. It was two the, the clear two best teams in the country, right. undoubtedly. And I thought we were headed for an epic final, and it was such a dud. And so as I was from, watching from it, the get-go, it, 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 didn't it was even... nine nothing, yep. and it never got closer than that again the rest of the game. No, Gonzaga no. got within nine, I think, once in the second half. But the whole game was spent at like a 15-point arm's length. It was terrible, and it was pretty shocking. And so as I was watching it, uh, I was planning on watching intently, but once it became this you know, 15 to 20-point blowout consistently, I was then kind of simultaneously doing – podcast work getting ready for today while watching it and I was sort of like my mind then kind of molded the two into one and I was sort of like I can't wait to ask JJ about instances like this in soccer can you Gonzaga came into that game last night as really I mean look Baylor is now going to be viewed as the best team and rightfully so they were amazing but going into that game Gonzaga was pretty much universally accepted as the best team in college basketball this year and on the verge of going down as one of the greatest college basketball teams of all time, had they won last night and they were utterly dismantled. And I was, I couldn't wait to ask you, I'm putting you so on the spot here. I apologize. If you could think of soccer examples of a team that had been universally accepted as the best in that given moment, just being taken apart in a final. Um, yeah, you uh, have put me on the spot. I, I could. I'll, I'll buy you a minute here. I mean, I couldn't quite no, get no, to you the don't final, need... but but Germany Brazil is always the one I go oh, yeah, to, even that, though that's not a final. That wasn't a final. I I think um, I think let me. I remember Barcelona and the the Romario Barcelona, the Stoichkov Barcelona playing the great AC Milan team okay. <laughs> in in the Champions League final in '94, if I remember correctly. And I'm not saying that like that was a great Milan team, but but. But this this Barcelona team had destroyed Manchester United in the group stages, and they looked like a really good Barca team, and they got hammered in the final, like four nil, mm-hmm. like blown out of it. And um, that one sticks out. Um, there's other ones like where maybe uh, things descend a little bit, like Chelsea versus Manchester United in the ninety. 90- uh, 94 again the 94 FA Cup final I remember that one because Chelsea started well they hit the crossbar and ended up losing 4-0 so you know um, yeah you did put me on the spot a bit there it's though. tough but well, it it's also happen. it's also very rare too that's that's the other thing it does happen though there's there's there are finals where you're like well that was that was extremely I, 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 another one is that Juventus team that went to the final against not the one against Barcelona, not that final, but the Cardiff final in 2017, you know, look at the way that game. The only thing is Juventus did start brightly in that game, at least, but then Real Madrid, they they certainly weren't taken apart to the level we saw last night. Oh, I don't know about that. And were were they accepted though, as the, as the undisputed best team in the world going into that game? I don't know. No, 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 no. But I I don't think that happens that often in soccer that, that, um, that there's a, I, I don't think it's that regular an occurrence that the, you know, there is an absolute outstanding side that, that's in the, I suppose Portugal and Greece is, is, 
is the classic. I mean, Portugal were by far and away the most talented team in that tournament. Um, although there were other good sides like the Czech Republic and then Greece greased them twice. Opening game and final game of the tournament. So, yeah, those are the ones that are come off the top of my head. If you'd given me more time, Andrew, and, and, I could have um, done better. But not, you didn't, did you? No. The World Cup final in 98 was Brazil viewed that way and oh, France kind of. Yeah, that is a good call. That's a very good shout. Um, Fran, yeah, that's an excellent call. And I mean, Brazil were raging hot favorites going into that tournament. They'd been, I remember the, every game in that tournament specifically. They weren't, they weren't, they were good, but everyone felt they were playing within themselves. And the final was going to be this moment of explosion. And it, it just did not happen. Um, that's a great shout. Actually, I, I'll go with your one there. Okay. That, that's the I one. Mean, I mean, and look, maybe that one's aided a little bit by the fact that it was also in France. Um, yeah. Like, had, had this been in, in, in Waco, tell- Texas last night, maybe things would have been viewed differently. But I can't tell you the hype that surrounded um, Ronaldo that day and that tournament and that Brazil team in, gen- in, in, in general. Like, they had Ronaldo, they had Danielson, who was about to become the most expensive player in the history of world football. Um, it was, it was a, an outstanding team and they had some of the remnants in the 94 side. Um, so they were expected to do, do great things. And that final was yeah. not great. No, not for them. Certainly. No, uh, this should be a really fun podcast we have coming up for you uh, over the next hour or so. Um, we've got a, a mailbag that you sent with a couple of questions in particular that I'm, I'm excited to address one about Christian Pulisic and his hamstring I'm not excited about it per se, but the question is interesting. We'll get to that later. Red cards, man of the match. Um, but I wanted to start, JJ, with something a little bit different, and it's going to cover a lot of clubs. Um, as, as I was watching the games over the weekend um, and seeing how certain results were playing out, I started kind of thinking, like you go online and you just see that phrase, you know, club in chaos, or panic time. Like you see these phrases more Crisis and more. Club. Right. And, and so I started to think about that. And I started to think that aside from Manchester city, it almost feels like every single club at some point, maybe not in this given moment, but at some point or another over the course of the season, every single club has been given that label at, at, at varying times. And I don't know if that's just like a hysterical media and fan culture that creates that, or you if you really stop there, <laughs> <laughs> or if you, re- if, if some of these or all of these clubs truly are in crisis. And so initially what I wanted to do was sit here and list all 20 clubs and we would go through them one by one meticulously and deter- determine whether or not they are in fact oh, in crisis. Geez, yeah. And I had to shut that down. You stopped Good me. God, that you would saved, have got tedious. You saved me from myself. Uh, you said, let's limit it to three or four. I said, okay. And then I started I writing. Eight. And then I went to eight and I said, okay, how about, how about we'll compromise and we'll go through six Premier League clubs and then one other club, uh, another European club that you specifically wanted to mention. And I thought that was a, a healthy compromise. You did send me a bit of a, an aggressive, angry text message when you saw I didn't follow directly to what you had asked of three to four. But you know what? That's It's a give and take. It, it wasn't aggressive. It, it was passive aggressive in, in that classic styling that people do nowadays via, via technology. I that- read all text messages that are in any way in disagreement what I've said or done. I, I read them all as shouting at me. So to me, it was read as, as aggressive. 
You're a sensitive soul. There's no I question. Am. I am. Uh, but let's start with that, JJ. So we're going to kind of go through this and I'll say a club. And then I guess we'll each have a chance to say whether or not they're in a state of calm or chaos. You want to, uh, ready to begin here? I think, th- yeah. I think you'll enjoy this more than you, than you realize. I'm, I'm concerned already about this, about this, <laughs> this whole setup, but here we go. Okay. Let's start with Chelsea. You say calm or chaos. I, I say, I, I actually, I'm going to stay on the calm side of things. I mean, Saturday's game was chaotic. And, and by the way, there's a caveat here. If that chaos were to seep into the Porto game tomorrow and beyond, then there would be, there would be reason to say this is a chaos club. But, but right now, I'm going to say calm. Although the details from the weekend after the 5-2 pummeling at the hands of the rejuvenated Brazil, West, Brazil, <laughs> West Brazilich Albion, um, there was a, the Athletic had a report this morning, so there was a tense atmosphere atmosphere uh, immediately post game, and and Tuchel said it was too emotional, so we're not going to talk about the game. So they got together Sunday morning for a team debrief, and Tuchel took the team through each of the errors in the game, and no one was not permitted, but no one was invited to give their comments. It was just a Thomas Tuchel taking apart the mistakes of the game, and I wondered about that. Now. There is a, you know, a time gap they needed to prepare immediately for Porto on Wednesday. I, I do understand that. But I think your first defeat, 5-2 to West Brom, uh, you know, there was, it was a freak result. There were mistakes. There was a sending off. There was just an unbelievable goal, possibly one of the goals of the season by uh, Callum Robinson. There was all these kind of factors. I'm not bringing my team and my players in on Sunday morning for that. Because what happened was... It didn't calm the mood. Nothing calms mood like being shown your mistakes in front of a, in front of a crowded room of people, you know. And uh, so they, they went, according to The Athletic, they went onto the training field after the video debrief, broke up into their, into their groups, and uh, Kepa Aritzabalaga, the goalkeeper who didn't play, and Antonio Rudiger, who didn't play either, had a bit of an altercation. So... What, could they not have had a Sunday evening sesh or just not had a session? I mean, there's been big criticism of Steve Bruce lately. He's given Newcastle players like lots of days off. They're so shocked by the amount of days off that they've, they've gone to the media <laughs> about days off. But maybe this was a case in which a day off for the players would have been a good idea at, uh, at Stamford Bridge. That's so my you, take. Yeah, I, you... I'm, going with cal- I'm going with Cam. As long as uh, contained chaos, I am putting a cordon sanitaire around Saturday's game. Yeah, I actually agree with you almost like to to a T. I said that it's it's calm, but it's but it's close. It's like calm. Yeah, it's calm. JJ. Calm. Um, and you're right. Like I don't know that it. Maybe the players don't feel that way after a five-two loss to one of the worst teams in the league, and. Christian Pulisic finally scores a goal and then immediately has to leave with an injury at halftime. Um, but look, I, I mean, if you wanted to, I, I just don't know that we can slip into chaos mode after their first loss since what's, what is it? January 19th. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not willing. I'm not willing to do that yet. Now, everything that happened on Sunday was chaotic. You mentioned the substitution as well. Timo is literally Timo Werner's heading for the showers <laughs> and they still not. Timo, you got to come out again because Pulisic ran like four yards, decided his hamstring 
as as Tuchel put it, wouldn't survive the game, which is that was such a bleak way of putting it. Yeah, it wouldn't survive. Uh, and Tuchel's face was like, I I felt for Pulisic so strongly in that moment, because I've been there. I, I've never played at that level, but when you inform a coach, I. First of all, if you're a regularly injured player who's informing a coach that this doesn't feel right, mm-hmm. the coach, because the coach's focus is on the team and the unit, not on your feelings, the disappointment and often irritation with that, that streaks across a manager's face is, it, it's, it's soul destroying. Yeah, uh, I'm sure, especially this player in particular, who I'm, I'm sure he's wanted to work back into the lineup. And now here he is, he gets a goal and he's got to take him right out because the player himself doesn't think he can continue. The timeline of, of the Pulisic injury was interesting because I'd say for about an from the time the substitution happened and we saw the initial footage because the footage looked like there was a miscommunication and Pulisic thought he was playing. And it, it almost appeared as though Tuchel then said, no, you're not and get Timo out here. Like, we didn't know in the moment that there was an injury. And I was, I was very angry about it, obviously, like many American fans were. And JJ, Craig Burley, before we knew it was an injury, had such a funny tweet. Uh, he I said, saw that. He, said I saw that. he says, there were people in the aisles at the supermarket this morning in tears at the Pulisic substitution. Does Tuchel know the pain he's causing? <laughs> I thought it was so funny and kind of like, we almost did truly capture the way a lot of American soccer fans felt about it. Then sure enough, we found out after the game, a while after the game that it was down to injury Yeah, uh, and obviously not just some kind of like miscommunication where Tuchel is now going to take off the player that scored the goal for him. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm not going to go into, into panic mode for Chelsea just yet. It, look, we can make excuses there. They played down to uh, 10 men for about 70 minutes, including stoppage time. And Chelsea, even with that, they still did manage to, to win the XG battle fairly convincingly, uh, 2.60 to 1.47. I know this doesn't count for anything, but it's, it's just to doesn't kind of... matter. doesn't matter when Callum Robinson is going around the place, like, right. like school, scoring worldies. Right. So I guess, you know, uh, to a certain extent, it's almost why I'm a little bit surprised that Tuchel did show them the video because it almost felt like one of those games that you sort of just like nah, the... shrug your shoulders and like, look, it just it wasn't our day. Let's bury the tape and move mm. on. Like, that's there, not there... who we are. Yeah, but there were mistakes. I think uh, I think Zuma and uh, Jorginho, Jorginho, according to the reporting, were, were targeted for, for mistakes. And um, there was a lot of, uh, you know, typically typically calm and measured Chelsea fans with, you know, John Terry as their avatar tweeting, Jorginho, get out of my club, you know, this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, well, the one issue for them is that they, they do have a very crowded fixture list that's coming up. They got six games between now and April 24th, including two legs of a Champions League uh, against Porto and this... an FA Cup match against Manchester City and now a game we... against West Ham. Which now it gets now it gets real for Tuchel. It really gets real. He'll right. understand what it is to be Chelsea boss by the middle of that. Yeah, like the new manager bounce. Like maybe now the ball is is stopping its bounce and coming back to earth. And now you're right. He's going to have to like he's going to have to manage here uh, and figure this out because uh, it's you're right. It's about to get tricky. All right, next one. Yep, let's do it. I went with uh, Liverpool, JJ, and I-, I will start by going with calm or chaos i said it's like calm it's calm. like calm yeah uh i i would agree with that in fact i have very little to say about this one um compared to the period after christmas this is extreme calm ahead of a champions league quarterfinal with real madrid three points on the road against a flaccid arsenal 
total control of the game. We'll get to them. Re- oh, but will we? Returning Portuguese star comes off the bench to grab two. Uh, it was nice. It was very calm. It was a calm game, really, for the most part. You know, well, it was no no at the half, right? Yeah, it, it it did look like it was descending into oh, here, here's Liverpool again, completely dominating the opposition, only for Arsenal to be unable to do what you know Burnley or you know West Brom or anyone else have, has been able to do, which is sucker punch Liverpool. Um, but no, very calm, very very calm. Yeah, I'll say this: it looks like they've have. I know they still have obviously key injuries. Um, you know, Henderson, Van Dyke, Gomez. Matip, these are still important injuries, but they did stave off a certain extent of them, you know, with Fabinho and obviously Diego Jota is, he's turning into what, what appears to be maybe a transcendent talent for them. Um, and so it's also why my, my calm for them is not just about this season. Obviously this season isn't going to go the way they wanted to. In fact, with Man City winning over the weekend, Liverpool are now mathematically eliminated from defending their title. It's over. Um, but like in the grand scheme of things, this talk about Mo Salah leaving, um, Maybe he can. Maybe now is the right time. We always talk about trying to determine the right time to allow a star to leave. Maybe this is the right time where they can still recoup a, a great amount of money. He still, I would think, would be a good return financially. Jota looks like he's ready to be an every week player for them. You would get a lot of money for, for Salah. You could maybe, if you don't think Tiago is cutting it in your midfield and you need reinforcements there, you'd get enough money, I would think, to find at least one or two guys to do that. Van Dyke will be coming back. You'll, you'll be set once again in your back line. I think that like, okay, this year might've been a blip, but that's kind of how I look at it. I don't think that this is by any means the end of, of this Liverpool run. Yeah. Uh, you talk about Salah going to one of the big clubs in Spain or somewhere like that. I mean, it's, it's hard to talk about anything else in terms of strikers when we're, when we're on a Holland European tour, 2021, mm-hmm. They should sell T-shirts. You know the way like Metallica, Ride the Lightning, and they'd have the the Ride the Lightning tour and they'd have like really, because T-shirts and merch at rock concerts were the whole thing and, and they'd have like this cool graphic on the front and they'd have all the tour dates visited on the of back. Of course. Every, yeah. every European city. Yeah. I, I, I think that's what Holland and Mino Raiola should do. Team Holland, world tour. <laughs> what, just like the teams that he goes to visit and like his recruitment? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, this is what he did. He's, this week. He is. I know we talked about it last week and it's, he, he's leaving that club. He's going to be somewhere else next year. He just is. Yeah. He's going to be, he's going to be somewhere else, Andrew. There's, there's no point uh, saying otherwise. And it, it's probably because of the Champions League issue with Borussia Dortmund. And um, yeah, but uh, we'll see. Uh, uh, we, you know, we've been told by Jan Aguifjortoft, it'll be a move for development. So which of the big clubs can offer him that? Which what, the is big that club- what does that mean, though? A move for development. Me- meaning that he'll go somewhere. I, re- I mean, it really means he'll go somewhere where he can prosper. Of course. And, uh, but, the, but the other question is the money that's been, that's been talked about in this transfer is just, it's, it's beyond so many teams. I mean, I'm already looking on ESPN FC this morning. <laughs> if the figures are correct, Barcelona aren't going to get within a sniff of him. So that narrows it down. I mean, well, if Barcelona have Messi coming off the books, and I know he'll be leaving on a free, but just his wages alone, who knows what that might allow them to do? We I don't talk, know. We can park this for, for a little bit later. Let's park it. We'll park it. Uh, all right, JJ. Next up here is, uh, is Tottenham, and I think we would all be in agreement that this is utter chaos. <laughs> 
Everybody panic, JJ. Their inability to see out a game has just completely submarined this season. Uh, they've dropped 15 points from winning positions this season. Only Southampton and Brighton have dropped more. They've also let 11 points slip after conceding goals in the final 10 minutes of a game this season. That is the most of any Premier League side. They're also top of the list for uh, most games failed to win when leading at halftime, which is uh, which is six games this season. And some of the teams that this has happened against, this is now twice against Newcastle. Obviously, we remember the 3-0 against West Ham when they're up three goals in the 83rd minute. Crystal Palace. I mean, the list goes on and on. And it's what it's what makes things most frustrating for me personally with this manager. And I know you've detailed all kinds of issues that you have with him, but for me, the top of the list is this because, you know, I can deal with, you know, I I can live with their style of play. I've made it clear that if it's yielding results, I'll live with it and I'll be fine with it. Um, That's just me. I know not everyone agrees. And I, I think that's fine too. But what I can't live with is this guy who is seemingly supposed to be an expert in this exact thing, having a lead and seeing out a game. Well, if he's not doing that well, then like then, yes, it's it's obviously fair to ask questions. I mean, this like if they were doing this only a little bit, I would be like, come on, like this is your thing. But they're doing it worse than anyone in the league. And I I know you and I we've gone back and forth on the role of manager versus players who's at fault they're both at fault I I will continue to say that like I I will hold Mourinho responsible for this general theme of okay this is more than just like a a small issue this is clearly a thing for this team you're the manager you've got to fix this and I also look at players I look at you know I I feel we'll talk about this more but you know Davinson Sanchez over the weekend again was bad in central defense, giveaways that lead directly to goals. It, you know, it happened once. It almost happened a couple more times. It's just, yeah. You know, so there, there's frustration on both ends, and with the way in which they're they're conceding points week after week with these late in the final ten minute goals allowed. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it speaks to Mourinho's shortcomings with this club, and it speaks to some of the personnel that they have, specifically in defense. Uh, that aren't cutting it. And and I don't know. I don't know if they suddenly went out and spent a hundred million to boost their central defense. Would that fix everything? I mean, look, Mourinho at Manchester United, it didn't when they went out and spent a lot of money on guys that he wanted back there. It didn't really change the problems they had. So I don't, I don't know if that's it. I, I don't really know what the fix is. It's right now it's, it's both things. Uh, and it's become tremendously frustrating because the season, like it, it's so it's so closely could have been different if we're, you know, I know a game is 90 minutes, so you can't just say, okay, if, if it was 80 minutes, what would Tottenham be in the table? That's silliness. The attack gets ratcheted up in the final 10 minutes of a game and Tottenham have not been able to cope with that. And a lot of people are to blame for it. And it's, it's crushed their season. It's been the most frustrating season that I can remember personally as a Tottenham fan. And it is why I have no problem saying that they are in, yes, they are in chaos. Yeah, I would agree. Matt Law of the Telegraph um, kind of delved into the Mourinho, same coach, different players. Mm-hmm. When he was asked why he was having so much trouble doing exactly what you said he made his name on. Um, 
Telegraph Sport understands that players are getting fed up with what they feel has become blame being shifted in their direction and away from Mourinho for a series of underwhelming results. It is unclear how Mourinho's assessment of the Spurs players has been received by Chairman Daniel Levy, who previously backed them by sacking former manager Mauricio Pochettino rather than overhauling the squad. Pochettino had spoken of the need to reinvigorate the team, although following his arrival, Mourinho described the squad he inherited as a gift and insisted all he needed was time with them. I I have one thing to say on it. Okay, maybe the players aren't exactly what you wanted um, in terms defensively. Maybe they're not the best group. Uh, Maybe, you know... you know, some of them are getting a little bit older. You've had to move on, Jan Vertonghen, etc. But, you know, can you not coach them? Is the only way just to kind of publicly humiliate them, just say they're not good enough? Is there no element of coaching to this? Well, he he did for, I mean, look, through, the, through December, if we were to go back and re-listen to those podcasts, I think you and I, seeing where things are at now, we'd be surprised by the things we were saying about Specifically, Aldevereld, we thought he had been rejuvenated. He didn't play over the weekend. Yeah, uh, and, and Eric enough. Dyer, like we we thought that these guys have been brought back, and then now in the end, over time, we've seen that that's not the case. And Davinson Sanchez is is specifically he's still the same player that he was under Pochettino. Joe Rodon is being worked in, and I thought he was okay over the weekend. But you know, there, yeah, even you know, we we've even spoken glowingly about Regulon this season. And don't get me wrong, he's been one of Tottenham's mm. best players, but he's not a defensive-minded fullback. He's an attacking fullback, plain and simple, and yeah. they need help in defense. Yeah. But yeah, that comment from Mourinho, uh, it was so odd to me because I think he was saying it with the intention of, you know, I'm I'm great. I just need my players to get to the the level that I'm at. Yeah. I think that was how he <laughs> However, he uh, that's how I think he meant it to come across. That isn't really how I took it, though. I, I almost felt like I almost felt like the opposite. Like, because look at the teams he's managed before, JJ, the great Chelsea teams, Real Madrid, the, the treble Inter Milan team. Like, those are great teams. And so when he said that, I was kind of like, huh, are you telling me that if you don't have the world's best players, then you can't be a successful manager? But that's my like, point, though. That's my point. Like, look at, and, and again, I, I comparisons are different, diff, you know, they are different and they don't always work across years. And, and, and soccer is one of those things where it's very hard to compare different units because let's be honest, the comparison I'm about to make in Golo Kante was at his peak and he sat in front of that Leicester back four. But look at that Leicester back four. Look at the Leicester back four that won the league in 15-16. If I had told you about that Leicester back four, say two seasons beforehand, you would have said championship back four. And it was. Mm -hmm. You had Huth in there. You had like Simpson in there. You had someone, all right. you know, Wes Morgan. Christian Fuchs. Wes Wes Morgan and and Huth. If you had said to anybody, that's a championship winning centre-back pairing, they would have laughed at you. But they went and they did it. And there is a, I, I, you know me, I do believe there's, you know, there's good coaching. There's a coaching has to matter in the, in these cases. Um, I, I will say one thing before we get out and, and forgive me for, for uh, name dropping one of my favorite podcasts, but on, on second captains yesterday, Ken early was saying that 
Mourinho was invited to some college seminar. I can't remember where it was, where he was there to talk about how I won the Europa League final in 2017. And do you know what one of the talk, his main talking points was, Andrew? No, what? His main talking point was that Davinson Sanchez was the weak link for oh, no. Ajax in that game. And to make sure that Davinson Sanchez, the ball was funneled to him and to press him because he couldn't play out from the back. When was this? Um, I can't remember when it was. It must have been in between. Was he? He wasn't Tottenham's manager, though. Can't have been. Okay. Surely not. No. Surely not. <laughs> and now he's ended up working with Davinson Sanchez. Yeah. So there we go. If he feels that way, why is he playing him? Andrew, why was Toby Alderweireld not in the squad? I don't know. He came uh, out. You're right. With... I should probably look and see. I, I don't know. He, Mourinho said that, uh, oh, it's because he got back late from international duty. But there's like footage of him being there on the Thursday, the Friday and the Saturday. How is that? How is that not? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, look, in terms of squad selection, usually I, I, I'm not at trainings. Like I, so I feel like I kind of have to trust the manager. They know more about what sort of physical fitness players are in than I early. do. Just if he said, yeah, he, I don't he, know, he got back and he's tired. He's fatigued. We didn't want to chance it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, maybe. But then, well, is he protecting Alderweireld by not saying that? Is it? A, is it, I don't know. Who knows anymore? This guy yeah. is just, he is the definition of triangulation. It's just funny though, because like for all the times that I've given up on them, because I, I sent you over the weekend after Chelsea lost, I sent you the gift from Godfather three of just when I thought I was out, they, they pull me back in Yeah. Um, because I, I have counted this Tottenham team out so many times over the course of the last few months. And they're, they're still right in it. Like this season for however negative I, I negatively, I feel about it in this moment, it could still end with a trophy and a spot in the top four. Um, but in this moment right now, I don't feel, I don't feel like either of those things are possible. But who knows? The season has been weird, and there's a lot of bad teams around them, including, including JJ, the team that recently beat them in what was another demoralizing blow to Tottenham. But this team has only experienced demoralizing blows of their own since. That is Arsenal, JJ. Calm or chaos? Um, okay, so I'm going to be, I'm going to be fair to Arsenal here. I'm going to say chaos for that specific game, but overall, overall calm. I'm making excuses here, but. Mm. This specific game was chaos overall, Cam. Is, is, am I fudging the issue a bit there? Look, there are no rules, okay? You can do whatever you want. I don't care. Just trying to, trying to do something fun and different, and, you know. <laughs> That's where I'm at. I, I'm going to say the, the club, uh, you know, the club in terms of, or the team in terms of that performance was chaos, but not a general chaos. Um, let me just talk about this performance and this performance alone against Liverpool from Arsenal. This was as disastrous and as poor performance as I've probably ever seen from an Arsenal team. In and of itself, it was so bad that the manager who could have leaned on the fact that he was missing key players now in Zaka and Smith Rowe, he couldn't even lean on that because he felt the performance was so abysmal. He apologized to the supporters. He said, I apologize to our supporters for the display and the show that and the show that we saw today that I am very, very disappointed about. It's unacceptable. 
At that level, it's unacceptable. To not be at 100% is unacceptable to our people and for a lot of work that we put in. So what happened today is nowhere near what we want to do. It's my fault. And this, this is Arteta. I mean, that mm. sounds like, a, you know, that, that doesn't sound like you've beaten by, been beaten by Liverpool. It sounds like you've been beaten 5-2 by West Bromwich Albion. You know, this kind of level of, of, of apology. Um, Orbino tweeted this out. Arsenal posted their lowest XG in a game since the metric was created and the third lowest by a team in the Premier League this season. And it goes back to me, Andrew, to the basics of football rant by Fabian Delph. They were second to every single ball. They won zero tackles. <laughs> they, were, they didn't get onto second balls. They didn't compete. They didn't do the basics of football. Not, they didn't get close to it. And like, how, how long would you say Liverpool have been like a really good side under Klopp? Like four years, would yeah. you say? Mm-hmm. About four years. I've never watched Arsenal play Liverpool at the Emirates. Maybe once um, where they didn't give them a good game, where Arsenal didn't compete. Like Arsenal get hammered at Anfield. That does happen. But they've always given Liverpool a good game at home. And this was just so poor. But it's a contained poorness because I am going to lean on the fact that they were missing players. Okay. Uh, I guess I wasn't quite as generous to them. I see what you're saying. I I would just be a little bit worried when I see some of the names and money that Arsenal have spent in attack and I see how feeble they look at times, specifically in this game. Like we've seen flashes of it. And, and like you said, with Smith Rowe and soccer, there is, there is hope there. Um, But like, you know, Obama Yang again, like what is, what has this season become for him? And I guess I, I, you know, sometimes I, I take some of my cues from people who I feel like know more than me. And, you know, oftentimes we, we speak about Gary Neville and I saw, he said this uh, afterwards, and this is pretty damning. He said, at the end of the game, I did something I don't normally do. I sat around for a few minutes with Martin Tyler and said, what was that? There's a couple of times in the last 10 years that I've been doing Monday night football, that my anger has grown over the couple of days after the game. It happens very rarely. We don't know what goes on behind the scenes at Arsenal, but I have to say there's a few of those players in the front part of the pitch who looked like a little mafia against Liverpool. It looked like a group of players who weren't comfortable, like there was a disconnect between them and the manager. The manager looked like he'd had enough of them. He had that glazed eye look. It's instinct, but we've been around football for long enough to know when a group of players are disinterested. How, how are you an Arsenal player and you're playing against Liverpool in attack how, how and you're you just disinterested interested? yeah and i don't know who that speak i mean who is that more damning of is it damning of arteta for not getting these players motivated is it damning on them to just not not be acting in a, in a manner that i yep. would say is professional yeah I, th- I think there was a couple of footballing issues you need to address first in the game. Like, not before we try and speculate on, you know, whether they were interested or not, because I'm always very nervous about that. Sometimes a team gets outplayed. Mm-hmm. They were totally overran in midfield. And without Granite Jacket in there to, like, and I'm not saying he's the greatest player in the world. I'm not even saying he, he he's the difference between them winning or losing this game. But I'm saying he would have made, you can make an argument argument he would have made a difference in there they were completely dominated mid, in midfield so you look at Obama and you look at at Lacazette you could have played them anywhere you could have played Ian Wright and Thierry Henry in that side they couldn't get the ball they couldn't get the ball they couldn't get close to the ball and when they did they gave it away um, ball advancement someone who's going to get down the wings and, and and carry a threat Kieran Tierney gets injured so then they're they're completely 
they're completely screwed in that regard. Cedric comes on, who just all right, just did did not look like a did not look ready to enter the fray. I'll be I'll be as kind about it as that. So um yeah, I, I don't subscribe to what Gary Neville's saying there because I can't quantify those kind of things. I can't quantify disinterest. What I can say is that intensity was missing. And that intensity should come from the manager. And maybe that's why the manager said, I apologize. Well, it's a fine line between the two, intensity, disinterest. I could see how those two things could be conflated with one another. But there are the there are just these things that I don't care how many, you know, Michael Goodmans or Michael Callies come in and enter the fray with numbers and stats and graphs. There are just some things that you have to have within you in the gut, in your belly when you go onto the field to play a game. And Arsenal didn't have it. And I don't know why. A couple more here, JJ, before we move on to the mailbag. Uh, Everton. Yes. Um. I can't say I, again. I, I can't say it's chaos, Andrew, because it's so regular. It's it's actually. I know it was a drop points against Crystal Palace, so I'm going to say it's calm because this is what they do, and this is what they do at home. Um, so I'm going to go with calm if that's okay. How is that calm though? By the same token, then we should have said Tottenham is calm because that's what they do. No, but I because mean, they, Everton are right there. Like this draw, is their chance. Everyone is failing around them, and this is their opportunity to finally get that top four spot. And yeah. one win in their last eight games at Goodison, dropping points to Crystal Palace. This is yeah. it feels like this is every week, and they're blowing a huge opportunity. Le- exactly. But they've been blowing it for a few weeks now, for a few months now. You know, well, it's that's not a, the fir- that's a state of chaos. It, is that chaos? I don't think it is. I think I think if you do something as regularly as that, it has a numbing effect. I think this is this is a calm this is a calm situation for them. Look at their home record: eighteen points. Uh, you know, five win, five wins, five wins all all season at home. Uh, three draws, seven defeats. Their away record: twenty nine points. They're nine two and three. Um. There's not actually that much to say about the game, except everything should have been out of sight uh, if Dominic Calvert-Lewin or Richarlison had taken their chances. Really good chances. You know, give credit to Palace. They stayed in it. They swapped out uh, IU. In comes Batshuayi. Defensive mix-up for Everton. Players out of position. And they score and they grab a point. But this is so regular now for Everton that it's kind of just... It's what they are. And I, I can see what you mean about chaos, but it's not it's not really chaos, though. It's not. We, we it's have co- a lot of Everton friends. I'm going to I'm going to conduct a, a poll of them and see and see what they think. And I'll report back next week. On what OK, they that's think. The, all right. That's the way to do it. I, I, I just think it's such a regular point for them this season that um, this this is kind of what they do. I, I doubt Everton fans are tearing their hair out. They're going in. They probably are tearing their hair out with frustration. Um, can frust- But it's a calm frustration. <laughs> what are you talking about? I, you look at some of their lost Burnley, yeah, Crystal Palace. Right. They, they drop a point late, like these. Yeah. They it's now they do have and they have a game at hand. So I mean, they <laughs> they in some ways are almost still in a driver's seat. But just think of where they could be if they had just been normal. Totally agree with you. This is they, this, they, this is a team that beat Liverpool. This is this. Yeah, I know, but I but what they did lose I to te- Fulham. What did I tell you after that result against Liverpool? I said, this is no indication that Everton are going to kick on. And what they have not disappointed me in that regard. By um, the way, they, 
I want to ask you a personal question about this game, kind of a glimpse into who you are. Uh, so Richarlison is, is the free kick incident. Clearly, it looks like Lucas Dina has been asked. He's supposed to be the one taking the free kick. And Richarlison, without really talking to anyone, kind of has this, uh-uh, this is mine. And he, he picks it up and he takes it. And he, he missed the net completely. Yeah. And I was wondering in that moment what Everton players around him were thinking. Like, clearly they were annoyed with him for how that played out. I was wondering if there was almost a part of them rooting for him to miss. Oh, that, oh yeah. And I'm wondering <laughs> if you would be that guy who, if like you were playing in, you know, your, your Brooklyn league and, and you're supposed to be taking a free kick and some D walks over, takes the ball, doesn't even acknowledge you, kicks it, misses the net completely. Would you silently pump your fist? Like you would, like some point had been proven there. Oh, you're going, you're going off the field after the game and you're saying to your mate, all right, he's not taking free kicks next week. And but I'm, I'm saying, would you, would you have actually been, even though it may have cost oh, your team, would you actually a, have been happy that he missed? Uh, context of the game matters, but uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a they're, yes. Yeah. They're, no, of course. It's natural, especially if it's done in a really obstreperous, a really angry kind of way. I'm taking this, look at me. And he balloons it. It's, it's, <laughs> Yeah, I had, a, I had a friend called um, I had a friend called Ronnie, and we played in a league uh, in college, and he insisted on taking all free kicks, not in a not in a like jerky manner, but he always wanted to be over them because he was convinced he was brilliant at them, and he shanked every single one, and because he was a like a really dear friend of ours, nobody ever really stepped in and said stop doing this, and finally in almost like the last game of the season, he stuck one in the top corner. Oh, good for him. Yeah, so there we go. Uh, all right, Fulham, JJ. All right, I, I, I a quick uh, a quick treatise on on Fulham. Um, so I watched this game, uh, Fulham versus Aston Villa, and it was it was. I mean, it was poor. It was it was poor stuff. Uh, as Scott Parker said, that you know there was a lot of huffing and puffing for bo- from both sides, but but Parker played Mitrovic, who had scored five goals in the international break, but had only scored two goals across the season. Had been kind of underused considering the the dire straits that Fulham had been in, and um, so Mitrovic starts. There's a mistake, Tyrone Mings, and Mitrovic does what he does clinically, rounds the goalkeeper, slots it home. And it's on the hour mark, more or less. It's a great position for Fulham. Newcastle have just drawn with Tottenham. Steve Bruce is angry that they actually didn't go on and win the game. So it's it's a position where Fulham can actually be outside, even for a little bit, outside of the bottom three for the first time since, what, before December? I don't know what point in the season, but this was big. And Andrew, from the minute they scored and went ahead, they just collapsed. Like, you could see them retreating towards the 18-yard box. Dean Smith made, made good substitutions. He brought on Trezeguet, who finished expertly um, and had, had, had a chance with almost uh, with his very first touch with a header, actually. Um, but you just saw the confidence. Instead of being you know, emboldened by scoring, they were absolutely scared by it. And, and Scott Parker was about to bring on Anthony Robinson mm-hmm. to attack someone to carry the ball, keep advancing because he was afraid of what was going to happen. And he literally told him to sit down after they conceded because he just knew this way, the way it was going. This is Scott Parker after the game. After the first goal, it was poor from us. We dropped our mentality, our intensity, the emotion of that 
goal affected us too much. We weren't street rise enough in them moments. You go into that mode in this division, you're not going to be successful and you can be two or three down before you know it, which is exactly what happened. And that means it's, it, I know the run-ins are not that dissimilar and I, it could go to that last Newcastle-Fulham game, but this is a chaotic situation in a club where you're in a relegation back and battle and scoring a goal causes more problems than not scoring. Like you often, you kind of wonder where they just better off just getting a point, staying in touch. And and that is hard to comprehend. I'm not, your thought process is interesting and well laid out, but I just have a hard time wrapping my mind around the idea of scoring a goal being a bad thing. Andrew, you know how some teams, particularly not terribly confident teams, they, if they grab one, they retort, they retreat to the 18 yard and like Fulham didn't just retreat the whole right side of their defense collapsed. I mean, Trezeguet just suddenly like, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. Aston Villa didn't do anything in the game up until that. I didn't think they were going. They, they, they could find a way to score. Dean Smith makes substitutions. Well done. But um, if this is how it's going to be, if this is how it's going to be, maybe Newcastle survive and um, dapper Scott Parker, the well-suited sartorial Scott Parker, um, ends up back in the championship. By but the that's way, my, that's my thoughts on Fulham. Un, somewhat unrelated note, um, but on the topic of Fulham, I saw. Uh, a story, I think this is actually from like a week and a half ago, but I, I just came across it. I, I wonder if you saw it. Um, uh, this is from uh, 90minutes.com and they, they post a story about Danny Murphy being interviewed on Matt Bullard's or Jimmy Bullard's podcast. Jimmy Bullard's podcast. And uh, Matt Bullard was a former Houston Rocket. Jeez. Um, <laughs> but, and, they, and he was reflecting on Fulham's Europa League run back in 2010 ah. and the semifinal specifically the first leg of the semifinal when Fulham were playing at Hamburg and Clint Dempsey had been playing really well, as we remember, and Bobby Zamora had been out. And so Dempsey was getting the minutes and Zamora, there was question as to whether or not he'd be fit to come back for that first leg. And Zamora went to Roy Hodgson and said, I I can give it a go. And Dempsey wasn't told until 30 minutes before kickoff that he wouldn't be starting. Yeah. How do you think Clint, how do you think Clint handled that JJ? Freaked out. So the, the, uh, it says here in the article, did the American take it well? No, not exactly. And now here's the quote from Danny Murphy. So, you know, as you come in the dressing room, you know, those little windows that are toughened in the corner, he's hit one and smashed it. Murphy explained, he's got glass coming out of his hand, got blood going all over the dressing room. It's everywhere. They've had to pull glass out and stitch him. (laughs) He came in and just bang and his hands, he had nerves and tendons hanging off and he wanted to, And he wanted to go again. It was too much. So all the staff came in, the doctor, everyone. Anyway, he's gone on the bench in the end. Um, But in an ironic turn of events, Dempsey ended up replacing Zamora after halftime due to an injury for Zamora and helping his side get that uh, nil-nil draw. Eventually, we remember they went on to win over Hamburg uh, 2-1 in the second leg, and they lost in the Europa League final to Atletico Madrid. But like, if that isn't just like the ultimate Clint Dempsey story, of what that guy was about. My God. I got the visual. Oh, yeah. I got the visual We've right We've all there. seen that face that he makes, that kind of angry face. I mean, it's so easy to picture this happening. Just what were the players in that room thinking? Like, they're getting ready to go out for this big game, and he's like, <laughs> I mean, I guess, do you want someone like that on your team? I guess so. Somebody who's just, like, obsessed with, you know, winning and playing, but 
That's a that, weird feeling to go out to a, a big game with. That was Deuce. <laughs> yeah. While he yeah. still played. Yep. <laughs> Uh, speaking of Atletico Madrid, JJ, they are the final one here. Okay. Um, and this was this was by you. You wanted this one specifically mentioned um, because of what is happening in La Liga right now. To me, Atletico Madrid, looking at the situation, uh, chaos. I think it has to be chaos. Oh, I think it's I think it's chaos too. Uh, uh, it's always good to go to Marca for the quotes. That's where I like to go sometimes. They always have the good stuff. Um, this is uh, this was Diego Simeone after the defeat to Sevilla. Well, I don't know what you expect me to be like after a defeat, Simeone replied when asked why he was in a bad mood. I'm sure I know the way and I'm not afraid of anything. This isn't happening because of nerves. Being able to play better, being a strong unit, I don't think it's down to nerves. So match day 30 is pretty interesting, Andrew. So at 3 p.m. this Saturday, it's Real Madrid and Barcelona. The the El Clasico, the the Clasico. And 3 p.m. on Sunday, Atletico Madrid could go in to this game against Real Betis, not in the top position, depending on how that game goes. Not only that, Luis Suarez and Marcus Llorente will be suspended for the Betis game. This is chaos, uh, considering where they were only a couple of months ago. They had a 10-point lead in January. Oh, boy. And This and again, is unbelievable. And it, I remember Graham Hunter's piece just rings in my mind. This is the best opportunity for them to... to to uh, reclaim La Liga, rather, to win it again that they've had in a long time, and there will be serious recriminations if they don't. And what will um, that mean? I, I don't... Recriminations, I guess... I mean, recriminations doesn't mean someone's going to be fired, but there'll be... There'll be a lot of soul-searching. I mean, let's not forget how much Simeone earns. Just the 47 million euro a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... um yeah, they're out of the Champions League, dumped out of the Champions League by Chelsea. And um, okay, whatever. Strong league position has been now frittered away. They've dropped points in five of their last eight games. This is uh, this is chaos, and it's compounded by those injuries. And again, you know, we were so blasé. I remember on this podcast, was it around Christmas, where we were talking about, yeah, they, this, this Atleti are going to take the title. It's wrapped up. It is not wrapped up, my friend. I'll t- tell you what was wrapped up. Clint Dempsey's hand. I cannot get that image out of my mind. Uh, it's now I want to go to the highlights. I got to go on. I got to go on YouTube and see when that substitution was made against Hamburg. How heavily wrapped his hand is. Great. Yeah, you're right. I got to check that. There's, yeah, I'm sure there's there's footage of it somewhere. Yeah, think if we had done this exercise a few months ago, like Barcelona. I, I, I'm thinking about it from their perspective. They get the uh, the 90th end minute. of an era, Andrew. Right. It's the end of an era. And like, how does Kuman still have a job? Yeah, and like it's now you know Usman Dembele overpaid. He's now scoring 90th minute goals. He's been he's been in great form for club and country recently. Uh, I mean, now, like Barcelona actually are the only team in Europe's top five leagues that has not lost a game this calendar year since it became 2021. They're unbeaten in their last 19. I mean, like their turnaround is is as impressive as Atletico's collapse has been. It really has. 
Uh, this weekend is, I mean, this week is so tasty in terms of, of football viewing. Uh, this weekend will be the same. The uh, um, El Clasico this weekend, is that a, uh, a Ray Hudson vehicle, perhaps? Oh, Hudson's going to be on that. Because I was thinking, depending on how that one goes, maybe we bring something back next week. Would you be talking about the Ray Hudson quiz? I could be. Oh, Andrew, the demand for it is huge. Well, we need goals. And so you bet if it's a nil-nil, well, then, no, we're, some, then we're some- SOL. Sometimes he can be pretty good on on the chances. Although he on the goal, I really got to go digging. He's he's he on chances. He tries uh, no on chances. He uses a lot of stuff that he regularly uses. With goals, he tries to be much more inventive and creative. But I feel like if we're going to play this game, it means you have because you are the contestant. Yeah. So you kind of have to watch the game on mute. Because I don't want you to hear the things Ray Hudson says for when we play Ray Hudson Jeopardy, and you have to guess the ends of his similes. I feel like Phil Shane lives his life on mute after working with Ray Hudson. Like, don't talk to me. He he like stays in a darkened room until he has to go and work with Ray again. Poor Phil. Uh, I'll tell you what. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we've got a mailbag. We've got red cards, man of the match. Still a lot to do. Don't go anywhere. Mail Bizwa, Andrew. Caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com is the email. Caught off site ESPN on Instagram. Go follow us there. And you can also get us on Twitter at Seagull Soccer Pod. Please follow us there too. Uh, Danny Murphy, the aforementioned Danny Murphy, not nah, different Danny Murphy. He gets in contact and it's, uh, it's the first promotion relegation email of the season. We haven't had one in a long, long time, but um, I, I kind of want to uh, feel this one. Um, haven't heard anyone talk about how the lack of promotion and relegation in MLS is a serious detriment to the success of the Usment, which is, of course, the U.S. men's national team. Everyone has been talking about the coach, the players on the team, the players not on the team, the supposed arrogance of the federation, blah, blah, blah. I'm sub- this is about the Olympic failure, clearly. The only way I see it is that by not having games in MLS during the regular season be of any consequence, the development of the players is hinder, hindered. There is no urgency because, well, next season, the clubs will get the same amount of money as the last year. So if you're bottom of the league, it's not really that big of a deal. Actually, it probably helps you because you get the pick of the MLS draft. Don't get me started on this. Um, so he goes on and kind of makes some point about the the players who made up the current under-23 roster. There should, be, um, there should be hundreds of football clubs in this country all looking to be better and reach the top and to push their players to do so. There have only been a handful of countries around the world in the history of football that have won anything of significance that have a mediocre domestic league and even fewer whose domestic league has little to no significance to the clubs at the bottom. Would like to get your guys' opinion on this. Danny, this was something I was, I was thinking about after last week's conversation. Like, like just as a mental detriment to players, um, that team, that Olympic team was roster was comprised mainly of under 23 players. And this is a question I put to Don Garber six years ago in our only ever interview with Don Garber. I said, do you think that the league suffers from that lack of jeopardy as a league? And, and if I was to ask him, no, I would ask a kind of a little of a, a little change on that. I would ask, does it hinder player development when so many games don't matter because there's no trap door? There's no sense of urgency, like Danny says. So the only thing like I don't how can I, you sorry? I don't want to take the other side because I fundamentally agree with you. 
Oh, you agree but, on this? Yeah, but okay. but my only the only thing that I feel like is being disregarded here in terms of the games don't matter, there's no urgency. Well, you, there are teams lower in the table who are desperately trying to make the playoffs, and people can roll their eyes at that, but that matters tremendously to some of these clubs getting into the postseason. So I, I don't think it's fair to act like for you know half the league or, or three quarters of the league you know, from, from July on the games don't matter that I think that's not painting the entire picture. Yeah. But like, look, like just look at last season, Andrew, like inter Miami get in, there was only four teams. There was like four, like say in the Eastern, there was four teams, DC, United, Cincinnati, Atlanta and Chicago who didn't make it. I mean, inter Miami get in with like seven wins and 13 defeats like right but but it's not about it's not about how good or bad they are it's, it's about their ga- you're you're talking about the games not mattering well those games mattered for them they were fighting to get in yeah you only need to be kind of halfway decent and you're in it's true it's problematic and i wonder mentally how it does affect players you know being a being a professional footballer and like if you read one of the great autobiographies or rather um yeah, it's an autobiography, I guess, of sorts. Only a game by Eamon Dunphy. And he talks about being a journeyman professional in the 1970s in the lower leagues in England. Your whole livelihood, your your wages, your family, your, you know, retirement, all rests on, on you know, making sure you, you beat the drop or you get promoted or something of that nature. And if you, if you take that out, it, it does neuter things a little bit. Uh, thanks for that, Danny. Uh, Luke, Luke, Luca uh, contacts us with one that, I, I don't know, sometimes people surprise me. Hey, JJ, I've been listening to the pod since the miracles for Tottenham and Liverpool in the 2019 Champions League semifinals and always look forward to Tuesdays when the new one drops. Thank you. My only gripe with the show is the titles of the episodes. Mm. They are so bizarre. Just in recent months, there have been pods titled Receipts, Staring into the abyss, feeling all alone, and even the fly in the ointment. <laughs> These sound like more like album names for underground grunge bands than soccer podcast titles. Can you fire the intern at Caught Offside Towers who is in charge of the podcast titles? Now, Luca, can I just, in terms of balance, I've been contacted on Instagram by other people who love the titles. So this is a long-standing issue for us. Is it's what. Not- and look, we program this podcast essentially for for us. What we think is what we want to talk about are the things we talk about. But in terms of I'm willing to reach out now to everybody listening and and take advice from what no. our audience wants. No. Do, we, pe- do people uh, want the weird titles or do they want titles that actually but inform the, them what's going to be going on in the podcast? Listen, because I don't know. Just stop your jibber jabber for one second. The whole point of this staring into the abyss was a line from the podcast. I didn't just make it up. You know what I mean? Staring into but, the abyss. But in no way, if you're somebody scrolling through the, the list of podcasts that you're considering downloading, staring into the abyss in no way tells you what what is going to be talked about on that show. Yeah, but most, but, but our listeners know who we are. They know what we're about. Like, like I honestly- Like this, I, this podcast will probably be called Comma Chaos. Yeah. Is, is that going to annoy people? Like it's, no, I would think, huh? That's interesting. I wonder what the boys have to say about that. 
See, I'm more, when I'm scrolling through podcasts, Andrew, I'm probably more someone who quickly wants to see a headline of what's being talked about. If it's not something I'm interested in, or if it, in our case, makes no sense, I might just keep going. No, I, because again, uh, podcasts I listen to, when when I know I like the guys, I like the way they talk, I like the content, I know the content is quality, I, I listen every week, I don't care about the title, and sometimes the title intrigues me. Well, there you have now, it, everyone. Now you've opened it up. We'll, we'll uh, Andrew would love it. Uh, Andrew wants everything to be as bland as other areas of his life. So he just wants it. This is a soccer podcast about games that happened this weekend. That would be ever every title. You know, I mean, I'm getting angry now, actually. Thankfully, Daniel Waldron has a good question. If Pulisic's hamstring were a character on screen or page, who would, who would it be? Now, Daniel, I don't get this one. Daniel uses a, a Miss Havisham from Great Expectations. You can break his heart. That's his vote. Uh, can I do mine first or do you want to do yours? Um, go ahead. Uh, my, my character from the screen is, that is Pulisic's hamstring, is Brian Mills from Taken. Because um, it's just a hamstring that's been through so much. Uh, daughter kidnapped by people traffickers in the first one. Ex-wife plus himself kidnapped in the sequel. Then his wife gets murdered in the third one and he gets the blame. Kind of like how Pulisic got the blame at the weekend a little bit from certain commentators on NBC just because his hamstring was a bit tight, not mentioning any names. Um, Brian Mills is just one unfortunate hamstring. Mine is going to sound so mean. Uh, oh, God. Uh, I went with Fredo from The Godfather. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. I feel so... You Look, <laughs> people who listen to this podcast, I don't need to explain myself. They know, how much I, they know how much I adore this guy, Christian Pulisic. He's one of my favorite athletes ever. Um, but his hamstring, like Fredo, was essentially a, a body part within this machine of a family that was so powerful and so, you know, so elite within the crime world, but Fredo was sort of this weak link. And like Christian Pulisic is this incredibly, he's an incredible athlete, finely tuned. He's a physical specimen, you know, he, his work rate, his running, but he has this one weak link in his body that is unfortunately affecting his career, just like Fredo was affecting the family. Michael, you don't come in into Las Vegas and talk to a man like Mo Green like that. That was really good. Fredo. You're my brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides against the family again. So that's what I see. When, when Pulisic is running around, I just picture Fredo's face screaming that at me. Fredo strings. How's your Fredo? I, I did a Fredo. All right. I actually like yours way more than mine. I feel I. terrible about it, though. Like if, That's one of those things where if I ever found out that he, that he listened to this podcast, like it would sicken me to know that he heard me say that about his hamstring. Like we're making light about this thing. And he's probably like, Oh, it's breaking his heart. Of course. It is everybody's ours too. Like we were texting over the weekend, just how depressing it is and how much we feel for him. Cause it, yeah. like we, I, I want to reiterate again that his issues, like this is, this is not about his skill. And for a lot of American fans that needed to hear it, I don't know that it's about, it's not about the manager either. This is a, just an unfortunate situation physically. And I don't know, I don't know how you fix this. If at some point he'll need surgery, is that even a, a cure-all? I don't know, but man, it's just, 
it's just tough to watch and I feel terrible for him. And I feel terrible, quite frankly, about this question. It's making light of something uh, that no, is serious. This is what we do. This is what we do. All right. But yeah, Fredo. Wow. Uh, Jordan, what's the most obscure fun fact you know to throw out at a dinner party to add to a conversation? So I've imagined myself at a dinner party with you. Hmm. Don't know who else is there. And uh, this just ticks all the Andrew boxes. Did you know that Cheetos were invented after a surplus of powdered cheese from World War II was purchased by Charles Doolin of the Frito Company from the U.S. military? Two things. One, why is that for me? (laughs) Two, if I ever heard anyone say that at a party, I would turn around and walk in another direction. As much as I love junk food and Cheetos, Doritos. Doritos, really, but yeah, but they're all in the same family, so yeah. I get we, I get it. But if if who Charles Doolin invented this, a surplus of powder? Okay, fine. You're smarter than everyone here. Let me just eat this in peace. I don't need a history lesson on this food. Thank oh, you for ruining my evening. Wow, yeah. I just thought you know I'd hit Cheetos, uh, you know snacks because I know how much you snack. I, I I used to be in the studio with you regularly. Oh my God, your body is like 25% starch and 75% salt. Um, Hence my WBS. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the US military, you know, World War II, probably your favorite war. Aye. You know, not favorite war, but the war you're interested in the most. All right. Okay, fine. Forget about it. Is that all? That's the mailbag. Okay. Uh, let's see now. Uh, at CO Soccer Pod on Twitter, caught offside ESPN on Instagram. Uh, we have so many different things, JJ. Uh, at CO Soccer Pod, caught offside pod at gmail.com yeah. and on Instagram at uh, caught offside ESPN. Yeah, that's it. One day I, I am going to want you to give me the password for the Instagram account. I, oh, no. I, I've never been on Instagram. I kind of want to just go on and look around and uh, see what no, it's all about. No one, wa- no one wants that. No one needs you on that. Fair enough. Uh, Let's see now. Red card, JJ. I'm going to go first. Mine is quick. I'm not going to lie to the people. Sometimes red cards, man of the match. Like I found like seven things that I wanted to use for man of the match, but I try to adhere to the rules. So I forced in a red card. Um, And with that being the case, I'm just going to take this out on poor Phil Jagielka. Um, Jags. What did Jags do? He scored a seventh career own goal over the weekend. So if you've been playing for, 28 years like he has you do that too so on that note a trivia question in the premier league era the seven career own goals for phil jagielka is tied for second most own goals with these two players if you need a hint i can give you a good one uh jamie carraher very good and richard dunn no not richard skirtle martin skirtle okay however you, my friend, are too smart for your own good because the real trivia question that I was building to was who is Jagielka chasing for number one all time? Ricardo Dunn. And that one is Richard Dunn with 10. Oh. Look at you. You're a savant. I wouldn't mind. Richard Dunn was such a good player at, at both City, well, a couple of clubs, but City and, and Villa in particular. Like he was mad. But, but before Manchester City, he came, I suppose... It was right at the end of the when City became the big money team, and Richard Dunn was just like this, this colossus, this this you know center back. I don't know. I feel sad. Like guys like him get forgotten. There'll be no statue for Richard Dunn outside of the Etihad, but there should be. Well, he might be waiting a long time for that. 
with some of the players they've. Uh, but he was he was Man he was like Man City Player of the Year. Was he? No, he's a, I remember him. He was a very good player. Stephen Ireland too. You wonder how Stephen Ireland's career would have worked out if they just Mancini had stuck with him a bit longer. What's anyway. the worst own goal you've ever seen? And there is an answer to this, a correct answer. The I think it might be a Manchester City own goal, or was it against Manchester City? Was it Nicky Summerby? Um, oh, here, you tell me, and I'll. No, the, uh, the answer is Omar Gonzalez versus Trinidad. We we continue now with your red card. And, and, no, I think it was I think it was Nicky Summerby did it, where he flicks it up over defender's head. I'll put the video up. I can't remember right now, but uh, yeah, it was it was horrifying. Uh, my red card was um was from Spanish football this weekend. This is uh, as reported by Reuters. Uh, Valencia were told by organizers to resume playing La Liga's uh, Sunday's La Liga match at Cadiz, or they would have to forfeit the points after they had left the pitch when Mukhtar Diakabi complained he had been racially abused. Um, fellow defender Jose Gaia said, Valencia's players walked off the field in the 29th minute after Frenchman Diakabi reacted furiously following an altercation with Cadiz's Spanish centre-back Juan Cala. It was the first time a La Liga match had been halted following an accusation of racism. The players eventually returned to the pitch, but did so without Diakabi, who said he was not in the right state of mind to continue playing and was substituted. He was also shown a yellow card before the Valencia players left the pitch. The score was 1-1 with the visitors walked off and Cadiz went on to win the game 2-1 after an 88-minute strike from Marcus Maura, who came off the bench to replace Cala. Diakabi told us he heard a racist insult, so we all went off the pitch. We were told that we had to play because if we didn't, they would take the three points off us and maybe we'd be docked more points, Gaia told Spanish network Movistar. Diakabi asked us to play on. We wouldn't have done so if he hadn't have, if he hadn't have done so. He said he wasn't in the right state of mind to keep playing. He is devastated. Now, Spanish officials, the league officials, are claiming they never said that, that there would be points docked. Um, but there does appear to be some kind of problem with like the system, you know, the, what happens in, in, in the event of, a, a, of this kind of incident. So that's just a red card for La Liga that, that this isn't clear and that it wasn't, that there was somehow something communicated to Valencia players, which suggested that they had to play or they would be compelled to play on. And this is in the same weekend where, uh, Callum Robinson, after scoring those two goals against uh, Chelsea, he was subject to social media abuse on Instagram, and uh, I believe uh, I believe Kurt Zuma was as well. So, and and Davinson Sanchez as and well, Davin or Davinson Sanchez as well. It's so disgusting. Just, just wonderful. Just a, another another you know just brilliant weekend in football. Well, just, Thierry Henry recently said he is leaving. He's canceled his social media accounts until these companies can figure out a way to get their arms around this because they are failing horribly well, yeah. in doing so. And it's becoming, it's become a thing now. Yeah. You know, it's, like, it, it, it's like, I can't explain it. It's, it's the minute a black player does anything. Yeah. This it, is the go-to for, yeah. for animals on social media. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's see. Man of the match, JJ. I'm going to go uh, somewhat broad here. American soccer and a number of its leagues. And I say that because a number of American soccer leagues, including MLS and NWSL, are going to trial concussion substitutions this season. Um, and I, I think it's safe to say the world is going to be watching to see how this goes. Now, under the rules spelled out by FIFA and uh, the IFAB, 
Teams will be allowed to make up to two substitutions per match to replace players suffering from a concussion or suspected concussion, regardless of how many substitutions a team has already used. The idea uh, is to use such substitutions in the interest of player health and safety, obviously. Uh, one interesting note in this is that if a player is subbed off as part of concussion protocol, the opposing team will also then be granted an extra substitution as well. Because I, I think that's at least somewhat important to mention because there's, whether it's, it's fact or fiction, this idea exists that teams are going to take advantage of this rule. They're going to have players fake injuries to try to make extra substitutions. So I do think it's interesting that that idea has been accounted for. And basically, if you use one of these concussion substitutions, then it's not to say there will be a penalty for it, but the other team will then also be granted an extra substitution as almost like a guardrail for, I guess, preventing against some kind of this being used for in, in a fraudulent way. Uh, it's not a fix-all, obviously. I don't entirely understand why they're limiting it at two substitutions per match. I mean, look, I'd like to believe that we wouldn't have a game where our team would experience more than two of these kinds of injuries, but let's say they did. <laughs> like, now we draw the line and are preventing that third player from being substituted off as part of concussion protocol. I don't understand that. Uh, and experts say it can take roughly seven to 10 minutes to adequately determine the extent of a head injury. So, you know, will those sorts of determinations be made in, in the proper amount of time? I don't know, uh, but they are going to have specialists, concussion spotters at games looking out for any signs that a player is kind of unfit to continue. Uh, the important thing is American soccer is kind of taking a lead here on an issue that is plagued the sport in some ways worldwide. And it might be a small first step, but it is a first step. And so I, I hope that, you know, we, we see the benefits to this and I hope that it, it can dramatically help players who are, who are dealing with these sorts of issues during games. And I think it's a, a good first step that they're taking. Uh, like I said, albeit a small one. So props to American soccer for taking the lead on this. I agree very much with that. By the way, the greatest own goal ever, I just had a quick look for it. It was a uh, Jamie Pollock, not okay. Nicky Summerby, Jamie Pollock for Manchester city. And, and it is, Oh, it is a beaut. There's none better. There's no, because there was so much skill involved in the goal. Uh, my man of the match, men of the match, Lille, top of the French league. Are Lille going to win league on? They are top by three points after a 1-0 win over PSG at the weekend. Uh, Canada and Brooklyn's own Jonathan David scored the winner, got injured. Seems like a Fairly serious injury could keep him out for a little while. While Neymar got himself sent off, uh, Tim Weah featured as a sub. This is such a weird situation as Lille have during the course of the season lost an owner and been in the kind of financial difficulty that's blighted many French clubs owing to the collapse of the league's uh, TV deal. Um, but uh, this could be the most amazing season. Um, in the uh, this is from the Guardian in December. They've been really good, Andrew, as a as a club that is using, as the Guardian says, precise scouting and development of young talent to lead to mammoth sales and transfers. And since 1718, Lille have made at least 112 million pounds sterling in the transfer market, second only to Lyon in Ligue 1 in that time. So there was Victor Osimhen that went to Napoli. There was uh, Gabriel who moved to Arsenal, Nicolas Pepe, 72 million, Raphael Liao to Milan, Thiago Mendes, Leon, Yves Basuma to Brighton. Uh, you know, that's just some really good work by them to keep things afloat. However, Lille could, uh, could win the French League, but be relegated soon after by the DNCG. 
if they do not repair their financial damage. So the DNCG is French football's uh, financial watchdog for clubs. So um, this is an amazing story. And I, I know the angle for you is that Pochettino can it does now, not reflect positively on him. No, Pochettino can go to a club where he can win things, we're told, and uh-oh, in his first season, he fails to do what is absolutely expected. So yeah. uh, very, very interesting. And uh, I think- Well, we they, did do... win the, they did win the Coupe de France, did they not? Oh, yeah, they did. So- But mm, it's not going to cut it. Is that enough for them? I don't know, objectively, no. Yeah, I'm not so they, sure. They are keep... still alive, obviously, in the Champions League, but they got a tough draw against Bayern. Um, that's, that's tomorrow, right? Yeah. That's the Wednesday fixture. Um, yeah, but yeah, this is if, if you're PS, if you're Leo, this is amazing. And really, if you're like a, a neutral soccer fan, this is a great story. Um, it is, and and you're um, a Poch fan though, it's worrying. French, we, 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 there's been so much happening in French football. Not all of it good this season. Uh, maybe we'll do a French in the club. In the uh, club, in the club, in le club, and. Uh, that will be a lot of fun. And we'll give it a really kooky title. Maybe all in French, so only a, a small portion of our audience could even read it. Fantastic. We want to be as niche as possible. Yep. Uh, well, hey, this was fun. I enjoyed this. was a this. lot of fun. I enjoyed it, yeah. yeah. It's, and there's so much action during the week. Uh, Champions League, both UEFA and CONCACAF taking place today. CONCACAF Champions League, JJ. That's returns right. returns tonight. Uh, I'm excited about that. The Philadelphia Union making their CONCACAF Champions League debut. Uh, and the UEFA champion, we should mention too, uh, Rafael Varane out with COVID for Real Madrid, which is um, certainly concerning both for him personally and for Madrid. Uh, so that that could, we'll have to obviously keep an eye on that and whether or not uh, that proves to be something that Liverpool is able to exploit. Yeah, and uh, you know the TV companies uh, companies obviously looking after us by putting both these brilliant games on at the same time. Thanks. Thanks. So, what will lot. you be watching? Uh, I'm going to watch <laughs> Real Madrid and Liverpool, but Man City and Dortmund is just so fascinating too. But I know. there we are. Holland's That's the way it works. Audition out. for his future team. Hmm. <laughs> Holland's audition continues. <laughs> His world tour, JJ. Well, hey, this was fun, man. I enjoyed it greatly. We'll be back, of course, again next week, recapping the weekend's action, Champions League action, all of that good stuff, and more to you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Bye. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 